The Paso County DEC is providing this podcast as a public service in order to let you know more about the issues and ideas which Democrats have identified as being very important for voters and also to provide a forum for Democratic candidates for office. Our podcasts are open to anyone interested in how Pasco Democrats are dealing with the important issues of the day. You can check out our PascoDems.com website and also on Facebook, Pasco Dems, and the views expressed by the guest and host on our podcast are their own. And not the official views of the Pasco County Democratic Party or Democratic Executive Committee. And today we are speaking with Allison Miller, and the race for Pinellas Pasco State Attorney this year is historic. And former Assistant Public Defender and Democrat Allison Miller is taking on Republican Top Prosecutor Bruce Bartlett, who has spent more than four decades working in the office and was appointed Interim State Attorney last year after his predecessor, Bernie McCabe, died in office. It is the first election for the job in 30 years. After McCabe defeated another prosecutor in 1992, he didn't face any challengers for the remainder of his 28-year term. Bartlett served as Chief Assistant State Attorney for nearly that entire time and was appointed State Attorney uh, by DeSantis after McCabe's death. This race could be the first time in the office's 110-year history that voters elect a woman as top prosecutor. It comes against the backdrop of a political struggle at the State Attorney's Office just across Tampa Bay that could have implications for the Pinellas-Pasco race that, of course, deals with the Hillsborough State Attorney, Andrew Warren, who was removed from office by DeSantis. So, we're going to start off, Emerson, this is now, here we are just about 13 days before the election. I'm sure your schedule is very busy. What are your main concerns at this point in terms of your campaign? Um, I don't know that I have concerns. We are full steam ahead. Um, I mean, there is no one who will work harder for this position than me. We are out every night speaking to different groups. I am out every night speaking to different groups on Saturdays and Sundays. We spend the majority of the days knocking on strangers, voters' doors to talk about this race and how critically important it is. Um... You know, fun, we're still fundraising. We can fundraise till November 3rd, the Thursday before the election, up till midnight. Okay. And so, you know, I mean, <laughs> it's kind of wild that we're, we're here, but we're still, you know, every dime that we bring in goes to direct contact with voters. And right. so we're running digital ads. We're running um, direct mail. There are some... Um, different organizations that appear to also have um, their own independent expenditure programs, sending direct mail on my behalf and running digital ads as well. And so, you know, every dime that we bring in, we're able to do more digital ads or more direct mail or potentially TV commercials. And so I guess if there was a concern, it's we are hitting the pavement hard. It's just making sure that we have enough money um, to get our message to as many people as possible. Right. I don't know if I I shared this with you or not. We did a poll, and to be honest, I'm new to politics, and so I wasn't entirely sure of how the poll would work. I'm like, you know, you're going to call people and say, Allison Miller or Bruce Bartlett, I suspect the majority of them aren't going to know either of us, Uh which is largely true, and that's a good thing, right? Despite Bruce being the current state attorney, he has 
about the same name recognition um, as I do, if not less, just based on the, the nature of the cases that I've defended recently. Mm-hmm. But then, no, the, the poll, they gave messaging, they gave messaging, excuse me, um, about Bruce and I, both positive and negative, right? And we said the positive things about Bruce that he says about himself, right? That he's a career prosecutor backed by the sheriffs, yep. you know, tough on crime or whatever, you know, right. he's promoting as his positives. And then we also said the negative stuff about me that Bruce is advertising, most of which is largely untrue, right? That I'm right. the Soros-funded liberal progressive prosecutor. I have received zero dollars from George Soros, incidentally, but... Uh, you know, that I'm going to teach critical race theory with the prisoners that I single-handedly let out of prison. But uh, anywho, I say all that in, in spite of both the positive and the negative messaging about Bruce and I, in this poll, I came out one point ahead. Right. And, we start, and right. so we started a deficit, just Republican versus Democrat, running in Pinellas and Pasco counties. Mm-hmm. Obviously, Pasco is typically perceived as a more conservative county. Um, and so... Yeah, I, that, I found that poll really motivating and also a little panic-inducing because what it tells me is just Republican versus Democrat, I may lose. But if people hear my message, if they know the truth about this race, if they know the truth about the state attorney's office, then I win. Okay. And so it's just a matter of having enough money and man hours and time to get my message to as many people as possible. Okay, well, let's hope now that today's message gets, the podcast gets out to a lot of people. So let's talk now about those main issues uh, that if people know exactly how you feel about them, cash bail, all that kind of thing, uh, predictable policing and so forth, let's start right off with uh, the, the main issues you think separate you from Mr. Bartlett. Well, I think the main issue, period, is public safety. The responsibility of the state attorney is to be a minister of justice. But I think in pursuit of that justice, public safety has to always be the backdrop. Okay. Right? And so, like, we, we talk about, for example, charging children as adults. And right. you and I know of this, that's this, that this circuit, the Sixth Circuit, Pinellas and Pasco counties, the state attorney's office prosecutes more children as adults than any other circuit in Florida. Right. And we're certainly, we're not the most populated. There's about a million and a half people in Pinellas and Pasco. Miami-Dade is a single county circuit. And Miami-Dade is nearly three million people. And we charge more children as adults. And, you know, putting a child in prison, once that child is released, he or she becomes far more likely to reoffend by committing a crime of violence than if you would not put the child in prison. Right? And so for me, it's not, it lacks forward thinking. Right, there are children that do awful things, and of course we're going to appropriately hold people accountable for the crimes or the acts of delinquency that he or she commits. But if you, we, we need to, to bear acknowledgement that if we put a child in prison, we're essentially setting up that child to become right. a serial recidivist. And I, and and I, so can't, I can't understand what, why what it is that more people don't understand that kind of thinking. It's just like we've got so many years now here in the United States where the, uh, the end result has been young people getting in, and next thing you know, they come out, they become somewhat practiced criminals because of what they learned in jail. And that's not the way to do it. Well, and what I was going to say is that, you know, when I say that the, the, the issue is public safety, and it should always be public safety, is if doing it Bruce Bartlett's way, right? Mr. Bartlett says, I have to charge children as adults. These are kids who commit 
acts of violence or these are kids that have exhausted all of the services that the Department of Juvenile Justice has to offer. And so I have no choice but to charge these kids as adults. Again, we charge more children as adults than any other circuit in Florida. But to him, to Mr. Bartlett, I say, if doing it your way worked, presumably it would have done so in the yes. last 43 years. Right. Right, because that's how long Bruce has been at the state attorney's office. He's been there since 1979. He's been the number two for 28 years. And he's really been running the show with Bernie McCabe for those 28 years. And so if his tough on crime, in air quotes, policies work to protect our communities, we wouldn't be seeing the gun violence and violent crime that we are. Right? And so I'm like, okay, has charging kids as adults, has that deterred children? from committing acts of delinquency? No. Has it prevented children from committing crimes of violence? No. So why, that's all of it is, I'm like, why would we keep doing things the same way we've done them for the last 40, 50, 60 years and Mm -hmm. expect different results? That's insanity. Right. And given the fact that there's so many factors in our socioeconomic uh, situation here in the United States in these last many years, um, it's almost like some you're just lucky if your child grows up to be on the right side of the law and so forth, it seems. Talk about, by the way, let's talk a, bit, a moment about the predictive policing in Pasco County, uh, Sheriff right. Naco's program and so forth. Right. Um, and so... Yeah, the sheriff has a predictive policing program where in Pasco County, Sheriff Naco, where, you know, based on circumstances, they put children on the watch list. And those circumstances can include the child getting a C or D in school. Those circumstances can, of course, include the child having issues with delinquency himself or herself, truancy, but can also include uh, law enforcement having contact with the child's parents. Mm-hmm. Right, which arguably children have no control over their parents, right. and so you know, and there's most of us, m- most of us out there can appreciate having like a bad semester in school. Right, you get a C or a D in a class, and you end up on the sheriff's watch list. And as far as I can tell, um, this watch list really just is the sheriff harassing the heck out of these kids and their families. Yeah, yeah and I. I- and I have to admit, Allison, that when I was a sophomore in school, I failed plain geometry the first time. <laughs> so I'm sure that if I would be living here in Pasco, I would be on Nako's list as being a person. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> I heard somebody describe it as like, you know, if all of a sudden we decided that everybody named Chris was more likely to commit a crime of violence. Like, we just decided that. Mm-hmm. And then we were going to have police follow everybody named Chris just because we've decided that those Chris's, right, they look more likely to commit crimes of violence, people would be up in arms about it. And so I think that's where, you know, the reason this is largely flown under the radar is because people don't understand the extent of the intelligence-led policing. Right. And so, right, and and they claim that they have stopped the data sharing between the school board because that data sharing, the school board providing data about students to law enforcement was potentially in violation of children's federal privacy rights. It's called FERPA. Yeah. And so now um, the school board and the, the sheriff's office are being investigated by the Department of Justice for this program. Um, and, you know, it, it, to me, as somebody who was a career public defender and most recently was working at our Pasco County offices, um, 
it would certainly appear that the, the program is still in effect yeah. in, in some capacity, and, yeah. and the sheriff's office is still yeah. being investigated. I, I think it's still being investigated, if I recall the last thing I read. Right. Okay, let's talk about misdemeanor thefts and driver license charges and the problems that uh, can happen if you don't pay. <laughs> right. Well, and that's where it's like, I'm not saying that people who commit crime get a free pass, right? We're going to hold people accountable. The issue is how we hold people accountable. Mm -hmm. And the distinction is really between violent and nonviolent crime. Because I mm -hmm. think we as a society pretty much agree how violent crime should be prosecuted, and that is to the full extent of the law. It's nonviolent crime, right? And mm -hmm. trying to... Because again, there's some things that we sort of fundamentally agree on as people. Like, for instance, if you end up in the system it's darn near impossible to get out of it, right? Yes. So we should really all be incentivized to try to rehabilitate first, second-time offenders who commit nonviolent crime to keep those people out of the system because once in, they are far more likely to become serial recidivists and that recidivism to lead to violent crime, right? Mm -hmm. So, again, it benefits us as a community to try to keep nonviolent crime or, or people who have committed nonviolent crime from ending up with convictions and a part of the criminal justice system. But so, you know, the Sixth Circuit, these two counties, Pinellas and Pasco, prior to the pandemic, we sent more people to prison every year than every other circuit in Florida. Mm -hmm. And about 50% of those people went to prison for nonviolent crime. Again, I think there's this perception that people only go to prison for violent crime. That's certainly not true here. And people are going to prison for things like drug possession, petty theft, driving while license suspended or revoked, yeah. right? And so you have to ask yourself, like, does putting somebody in prison for a crime like drug possession or driving while license suspended or revoked, does that keep us safer? Right. And the, the data, the anecdotal evidence, the data set studies unequivocally say no. Right. right, that if you're putting people in prison for those type of crimes, those crimes are largely related to that person's own drug dependency, mental illness, or poverty. Right. And so if you put somebody in prison, it doesn't serve as a deterrent going forward because it's not like those folks are committing those crimes because they're not afraid of going to jail. They're afraid of going to jail. Right. It's they're committing those crimes because they're drug addicted, mentally ill. Right. Or impoverished. Right. Now, in the, in the news so, in the last couple of weeks, we had the uh, the young man who, uh, well, he's now 24, but the one who killed all the, the people in the school, you know, and out of the jury, because of one person, uh, did not get the death penalty. And uh, I know it's going to come up at some point. And what is your uh, attitude towards the uh, capital punishment? Well, I have to correct that because the governor keeps saying that, too, that one lone holdout is responsible for Nicholas Cruz getting life in prison. The jury's vote was nine votes in favor of the death penalty and three votes in favor of life ah, in prison. Okay. So it was not, there's no lone, lone holdout. It was a solid nine, three vote for life. Um, and by that, so Florida began requiring unanimity in capital sentencing in 2017 when the United States Supreme Court found Florida's entire death penalty statute or scheme to be unconstitutional. Mm -hmm. And so we went through, between 2016 and 2017, we went through a series of amendments in law as to how the death penalty should be enacted. Mm -hmm. um, of the states that have the death penalty, and less than half of our states still have the death penalty, 
more than half have now either abolished or declared a moratorium. Right. So of the remaining states that have the death penalty, there's only 13 we consider to be active death penalty states that is still executing folks. Um, and Florida being one of them. Like, I also practice in the state of Louisiana, and Louisiana hasn't executed someone in, like, 12, 13 years, so it's no longer considered an active death penalty state. But of the states that still have the death penalty, only one state doesn't require a unanimous jury vote in favor of the death penalty, and that's Alabama. And so I think that any time, with no disrespect to Alabama, um, I think anytime our criminal justice is rivaling Alabama's, we should probably take a, another look at that. Mm-hmm. And so what the law says is that it takes 12 people to convict someone of the crime of first-degree murder. Mm-hmm. Now, and now, 2017, the law says that it takes all 12 people in order to believe that death should be the penalty for the judge to sentence the defendant to die. Okay, okay. Roe versus Wade. <laughs> How uh, uh, ahead, are your thoughts at this point? So, obviously, you know, the Dobbs opinion overturned right. Roe v. Wade. Um, and I think it really interesting, because I can remember watching Senator Marco Rubio talk about this was a victory for states' rights. Right now, the states would get to decide, you know, mm-hmm their abortion policies, and then now Senator Rubio and Senator Lindsey Graham are the two senators that have proposed a national right. ban. And I'm like, what right. happened to states' rights, Senator? Right. Um, but yeah, it, again, it always falls back to me on public safety. And so I am the victim of sexual violence. And so prosecuting somebody who commits a rape, I will do with enthusiasm. Yes. The idea of prosecuting a woman or a healthcare provider... Um, for either accessing or providing an abortion. Um, yeah, I, I'm like, somebody's going to have to convince me how that does anything to keep us safer. Mm-hmm. And in fact, so the, fi- the 15-week ban that Florida passed has already been determined to be unconstitutional by a state court judge. It's now on appeal in front of what's called the First District Court of Appeal, and pending appeal, the ban is in place. Um so we have a 15-week abortion ban, but it also has criminal penalties for healthcare providers who provide an abortion after 15 weeks unless the life of the mother is threatened. Mm-hmm. And that's where I'm like, I don't, I don't know about y'all, but I would really prefer my healthcare provider be thinking about what's in his or her patient's best interest and not right. thinking like, is she close enough to death that I can now do what's necessary to avoid going to jail? Yes, I mean doctors yes. take an oath to do <laughs> doctors take an oath to do no harm, and so you know I've had several healthcare provide. I had a one healthcare provider who is an OBGYN come up and just hug me at an event, and so you know DeSantis talks about this being the free state of Florida and, and business. I mean we are driving educators out of the state. <laughs> We're now at the cusp of driving doctors out of the state. Yeah, it's, and it's, so I'm like I. I I just... Whenever DeSantis says those things, I just look at it and say, as often with uh, many of the Republican positions, um, the irony that they display in their real life is just almost beyond belief. 
uh, when I say certain <laughs> things, right? Hey, it's the free state of Florida if you right. agree with everything he says and you look just like him. Right. Now, have a, take two or three minutes or whatever time you want to sort of sum up where we're at, what you're planning on doing. If we've missed anything in here and what we want to talk about, feel free to go ahead and do it. So the floor is yours. Okay. Well, um, yeah, we have 13 days till the election. We have... From now till midnight on November third till November excuse me, from now till midnight on November third to finish fundraising mm-hmm. to get our message to as many people as possible. I would invite, you know, those that have heard this and want to know more to visit my website. It's MillerForStateAttorney.com. I'm on every social media platform that exists, Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, Twitter, and my personal cell phone is on my website. I will happily answer emails phone calls. I want voters to make an informed decision mm-hmm. um, about this race. And like, if there's anything, it's I'm a little frustrated by kind of the hyper-partisan nature of it. Um, and I think, you know, that's probably true of every race on the ballot this election cycle, but I want people to know me for me and what I'm trying to accomplish here. And, you know, it's not the folks that have said, like, well, I'm not going to vote for a Republican or I'm not going to vote for you because you're a Democrat. Mm-hmm. It's like, just hear me out. Yeah. Like, just just hear me out. Like, this is how we've been doing. I'm running against a gentleman who's been there since 1979 and said out loud when he was appointed following his predecessor's passing that the thing that makes his office the most effective is the lack of change. Yeah. Right. And so if you think the criminal justice system is working well, then you probably <laughs> should vote for Bruce because we're yes. going to keep doing it the right. same way forever. <laughs> but if you think we could do a whole heck of a lot better to keep people safe, to be a better steward of your taxpayer dollars, to hopefully provide folks a pathway for redemption out of the system, to, you know, dismantle some of the processes that have undermined yeah. racial justice right. for pretty much ever, then you should vote for me. And so we need people to phone bank. We've made it very easy. Um, there's a script. You call, you know, this calls the number for you. We need folks to phone bank. We need people to door knock. You can go on my website and click get involved. Um, if you're able to donate, no matter how, what the donation amount is, it's appreciated and well used. We try to be a good steward of your time and your money. Well, I'll let you know that uh, your name is on one of your name is on one of the five hundred and fifty five door hangers that my wife and I put out last weekend. So your name is on that That's list. Awesome. Anyway, anyway, thank you so much, Allison, for your time. I will always leave it open. Who knows what will happen in the next thirteen days? And if it turns out something really important, I'll get in touch with you because you know you can have your say at that point. But in the meantime, good luck and stay the course. All right, thanks, Al. Yep. Bye bye. Bye.